You're listening to Matt Walsh on demand. Welcome, welcome to Matt Walsh on demand. Welcome, my friends and neighbors and countrymen. Uh, thank you for being here. I, I, I appreciate it. What I want to do today is is discuss my plan to save America. I'm going to save the entire country because I have a I have at least the first step. Do you want to hear it? Because, because I, I understand that that things are pretty bad right now. And there's no question about that. Things are bad. Our society is fractured and divided. We can't reach a consensus about anything. I mean, even the most fundamental, basic truths are not agreed upon by anyone. So we're all we're all living in separate worlds. It, it's worse than it was even leading up to the Civil War. And the only reason why it hasn't broken out into a full-on war uh, yet is because it's not so much divided geographically. It's worse. It's, it's in our own physical communities. It's divided up. We're all living in these separate worlds, separate realities. And even those separate worlds are divided into even smaller worlds because we're all walking around in our little digitized bubble with our smartphones and everything else. So our country is not is not united, and our country, in fact, is hardly even a country anymore. But I do think that there is uh, there's hope. I believe things. Um, we'll never be perfect, but they can be better. We're never going to all be friends, but we can at least operate like we're the same, I don't know, species again, possibly. We can come to some conclusions as a people. And that's how you become a people, rather than a bunch of people living in the same geographic area. When you're an actual people, a culture, when you share some of the same basic values... If you don't share, and that's if, 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 you, and if, you, if you go to pretty much any other country, uh, particularly non-Western countries, you're going to find that there is some consensus among the people about basic values. And we, we can do that. There can be some kind of harmony to some degree in some ways. Uh, I really believe it. When it comes down to it, you know, this is the big twist ending in this story, is that I'm actually the sunny optimist. Uh, not an optimist in the sense that I'm that I that I have warm and fuzzy things to say about where we are now, but I'm hopeful about where we could go. So you know that's that's optimism. Optimism looks towards the future. Optimism is passionate and active, and even angry sometimes because it wants to go somewhere. That that that's an optimist. So somebody who just kind of smiles and strolls along, not really caring, apathetic. That's not an optimist. That's a, that's a vegetable. So let me, as an optimist, propose the first step towards this, uh, this uh, bright and, and unified uh, future. Uh, here it is. This is the first step. Are you ready for this? This is, this is what it is. Um, it's called listening. So, so we have to listen to each other. When someone expresses a thought or an idea or opinion, we should hear it and receive it and process it and think about it and allow it to sit inside our minds for a moment or two or three. Listen. We have to listen to each other. Listen. Listen to me, okay? Listen to what people are saying. Sorry, I'm, I'm yelling. I'm optimistically yelling at you. We have to listen. And we don't have to listen to everything, mind you. Just the things that qualify as actual ideas and beliefs. For instance, um, when somebody emails me 
uh, to disagree with one of my posts, which you know does happen on occasion. And they take the time to detail their disagreements and explain why they think I'm wrong and propose a counter idea. You know, I should read it and consider it. I don't have to change my opinion. Um, but I would be quite the intellectual wimp, wouldn't I be, if, if I didn't at least give their ideas the time of day. You know. Especially when I go through su- such great lengths to, to tell you my opinions. And someone says, well, I don't agree, here's mine, I should listen. Now, on the other hand, when someone emails to tell me that I should, you know, get cancer or jump in front of a train or shoot myself in the head, common themes, all of them, I don't have to lend their words much consideration. Now, unless in a rare occasion this will happen, that they, that they uh, support that suggestion with facts and, uh, and evidence and uh, empirical data, um, and they, they give a really good philosophical argument for why I should end myself. In that case, I should, I should you know, maybe give it a, maybe, maybe listen, hear what they have to say. Usually I don't agree. But more often than not, these are not rational ideas. You know, they're, they're uh, vomit, bile, you know, rhetorical sewage. And they should be flushed and forgotten. So, so vomit, vomit, vomit disguised as ideas. That, that doesn't have to be listened to. Um, and the people in that camp, they don't deserve to be listened to, right? But the people in the other camp do. So it's a very simple formula. But un- unfortunately, there is very little listening happening in this country. And that's why our debates are so fruitless, because they aren't debates. In fact, that is often the strategy used to, to win a debate. You make sure the debate never took place. That's, that's how you win it. So rather than respond to an argument, this is what happens. The argument is just categorized. Um, a label is slapped on it. And, and if it sticks, the label, label, labeler, if that's a word, the labeler wins the debate. They win the debate that never occurred. And as far as the labels go, they, they might use any number of options, but the primary one, the basic one, the basic label that's used is hateful. That's what happens. Have you noticed this? Every opinion now, if it's contradictory to what you know, mainstream thought, is labeled as hateful. And so if you don't have a counter-argument for whatever point was just made... No problem. Just stomp your feet and yell that the opinion was hateful. That was hateful. Everything is hateful. It was a hateful idea. You're so hateful. Everyone is hateful if they don't comply with whatever dogma you adhere to. It's, 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 uh, it's fantastic. It's a brilliant strategy. Brilliant in its Id- idiocy. That was hateful. That's my impression of like 50% of the country. In a debate, that's how, you know, one person said, well, this is my idea, X, Y, Z, this is how I feel, this is why I feel, these are some interesting things that I've read, Here, here's, here's everything that I think, the other, and, then, and, then, and then the other person, that was so hateful, you're a hateful person with your hateful thoughts, why are you hating so much with your hatefulness? It's brilliant, it is brilliant in its effectiveness, it's stifling discussions, and, and driving our society further into the into the, the bowels of insanity. Brilliant. Brilliantly stupid. And, and, you know, there are few things that I hate more than the cowardly act of calling an idea hateful just because you don't agree with it or don't understand it or lack the intellectual prowess to engage with it. I, I do hate that. 
I don't hate people, but I hate that because it is a it is a sin against intelligent discourse. It it, it does it does violence upon reason. It is a crime against logic. It's a plague. It's an epidemic. There's nothing more detestable than responding to a reasoned opinion by calling the opinion hateful and then declaring that anyone who shares the opinion or agrees with it is also hateful. But, I mean, this has become the most common response to certain ideas. And specifically, when I say certain ideas, I mean certain non-liberal ideas. And I'm not saying that liberals are the only ones who use this tactic, but they use it as a matter of practice. For them, this is what they do. You know, other people might do it um, out of exhaustion or exacerbation or, 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 you know, momentary lapse into laziness. But liberalism has gained so much ground in our culture precisely through this method. This is what they do. It's their greatest weapon. And it's gotten to the point that many progressives probably believe that the word hateful is literally defined as an opinion liberals disagree with. And, and usually drawing the connection between the different opinion and hate is very simple. Because if the person um, disagrees with gay marriage, they're hateful to gays, right? If they disagree with affirmative action, they're hateful to, to, to black people. If they disagree with amnesty, they're hateful to Hispanics. If they disagree with abortion, they're hateful to women. And the equation is very obvious like that. But it's, I mean, it's horrendously illogical, but it's obvious. It's, you know, person outside of a particular de- demographic group has an illiberal opinion that in some way involves that particular demographic group equals that opinion is hateful slash bigoted slash sexist slash whatever other variation of the term. And this is how identity politics work. And it's through identity politics that progressives have conquered our culture. That's, that's their primary weapon. But, you know, sometimes the equation breaks down. And uh, you, you have to almost feel sorry for progressives whenever they're Whenever their game of identity politics goes slightly awry, just imagine the frustration. Because white liberal elites spend all this time writing the script, setting the stage, deciding what various groups are supposed to say and think about everything. And then, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of troublesome rascals start you know, thinking for themselves, and it's got to be so infuriating. So, so just imagine, imagine how angry you'd be if you assigned liberal ideological views to black people and then guys like Tim Scott and Alan West and Clarence Thomas and Thomas Sowell and, and, uh, and various others decided to, to be right-wing conservatives. It's got to be very, because they're going off the script. It's very frustrating. Or, you know, think about how disappointed and, and really hurt and offended you'd be if you went to great lengths to make sure that women know they're supposed to be big fans of abortion, but then the majority of them run off and become all pro-life and stuff. You know, it's got to be very annoying. Or, or, or think, about, think about how you'd feel if, if you make it perfectly clear that, that all Hispanics support amnesty just to be interrupted by a large percentage of, of, of Hispanics saying they don't support amnesty. Again, it's very, it's, it's, it's very enraging. And this is where the, the naive observer might think, you know, wow, well, uh, their game of identity politics has been disarmed. A female pro-life or a Hispanic immigration enforcement proponent, a black conservative. I mean, obviously now they'll have to actually engage these ideas. They can't label them now. They can't call the female hateful to females or the Hispanic hateful to Hispanics or the black guy hateful to black guys. They can't do that. No, that only works with white men, the, the naive person thinks. Whites and men, they're the only ones. But, uh, but, oh, poor naive observer. You poor, poor, naive fool. See, it, does, it doesn't work that way. In our culture today, people have been so trained to ignore opposing ideas 
and label them hateful, that nothing will stop them from doing it, no matter how absurd. And in fact, not only will the women still be accused of being hateful to women and the black person to blacks and the Hispanic to Hispanics, but the viciousness of those accusations will only be increased because, because there, there's going to be a perception of betrayal. Because the, the trained seals in the liberal ranks have so bought the script and believed it that when a person of a certain demo says something that people of that demo shouldn't say, progressives become afraid and confused and they lash out. So a perfect example of this from uh, this week, or this weekend as a matter of fact, uh, Dolce and, Gab- and Gabbana are, uh, these are two spectacularly successful Italian fashion designers, and they're both, by the way, spectacularly gay. Uh, but, but they oppose gay marriage, which, which they've made clear in the past. And we found out a few days ago when um, they were being interviewed by an Italian uh, magazine, I believe, that they also oppose gay adoption and surrogacy and IVF. Again, these are gay men. And if you've ever seen some of their ads and products, there's very little questioning their, their gay credentials. These are not closeted heterosexuals we're dealing with. Um, but, but listen to what they, this is what they told this Italian magazine. They said, uh, the only family is the, tra- sorry, my Italian, the only family is the traditional one. No chemical offsprings, Luigi, reggaetoni. That's my Italian accent. I know, it's, it's like all of a sudden you were transported to Italy, wasn't it? Anyway, they said the only family is the traditional one. No chemical offsprings and rented uterus. Life has a natural flow. There are things that should not be changed. They continue, procreation must be an act of love. I call children of chemistry synthetic children. Uteri for rent. Semen chosen from a catalog. The family is not a fad. In it, there is a supernatural sense of belonging. Now, what they're saying here is extremely profound and correct. Now, obviously, children created in laboratories uh, through, through uh, you know, for whether for gay parents or for straight parents, these children are not literally synthetic. And I think that uh, Dolce and Gabbana, they were just being, you know, they were being hyperbolic there trying to illustrate a point. But the process is synthetic. The process is um, artificial. And everything they're saying is right. And, it, and it's also, now, now see, what they're doing here is they, they expressed a view, they described it, and they didn't go into a great deal, but they supported it. And they said something at the end there, in it there is a supernatural sense of belonging. The family is not a fad. It's a very profound and interesting point. And if we should listen to anyone, it should be them. Because they're speaking against their own immediate interests. But of course, what happens? Two prominent gay people expressing an opinion saying gay should not adopt. The only family is a traditional one. Uh, children should have a mother and father. There should be a sense of belonging. We shouldn't, you know, create kids in laboratories. But what happened? Liberals got wind of this. And next thing you know, these people are being called bigoted and hateful all over the place. And they're being boycotted. Now, with the interesting thing, I think Elton John started the boycott. And, okay, I believe that he can afford Dolce & Gabbana, and he probably would usually wear it. Uh, but but I, you know, if you go on Twitter, 
and you look at the hashtag boycott Dolce and Gabbana, you're going to find all of these people who, who could never in a million years afford Dolce and Gabbana pledging to never wear it. Which is sort of like, you know, it's sort of like a bunch of middle class suburbanites uh, pledging to, to boycott Lamborghinis, which, you know, I, I've, I launched a Lamborghini boycott um, back many years ago, and I am going to, I'm going to stick with it. I will never buy a Lamborghini. I refuse. And not only that, but I will never buy a 15 bedroom house. I, I've also launched a, uh, a boycott against Rolexes, not fake ones. I didn't boycott those, but the real, I've, I've launched a boycott against them. I really have. I've also boycotted uh, the people that make vaults with big, with, uh, you know, filled with gold coins like Scrooge McDuck. I've, I've also boycotted those people, whoever they are, you know, that make the vaults with the gold coins. Acme, I don't know. Who, I've boycotted. That's a boycott that I've, that I've done, you know. Uh, but, that's, but that, of course, is, 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 is uh, what happened. They, they were boycotted and, uh, and called hateful. Uh, hateful against themselves, I suppose. And it's so ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. Because these are not hateful opinions. These are just opinions. Opinions about the nature of family and parenting, not gay people. They are opinions about family, not gays. The fact that the opinion, if acted upon, in some ways limits gay people, does not make it hateful. Where is the hate in their comment? Where, where, is, where is the hate? What's the hate? You don't have to agree with the comment, and this is what I'm saying. To anyone, liberal or otherwise, who disagrees with what they said, you don't have to agree with it. But to call it hateful is dishonest, wrong, cowardly, and idiotic. It is an idiotic move. But I don't, I don't believe you're an idiot. You're just behaving like one in this case. To listen to that and say it's hateful! You're behaving like an idiot. And that's not hateful of me to say. It's, just, it's how you are behaving. It's like if you walked around and, uh, and flapped your arms and clucked, I would say you're behaving like a chicken. I'm not accusing you of being one. I'm saying you're behaving like one. Stop behaving like one. In this case, you're behaving and acting and speaking like an idiot. Stop speaking like an idiot. To call that hateful is idiotic. To call it bigoted is idiotic. Uh, it's particularly because these are, it's coming from gay people. So, so, so you're saying that they hate themselves, that they hate, they are gay, uh, as far as I know, actively so. And, and you're saying that they, that they hate gay people. It doesn't make any sense. But, but, but besides which, you know, maybe they do. Some people are self-loathing. You never know. You know, maybe I hate all straight white men. It's, it's, it's possible. But you can't accuse me of that unless you have evidence of it. And what they said there, no evidence of it. What they had, the opinion they're expressing is an opinion about the nature of family and the nature of children. If we are to, and that's not what this podcast is about, by the way. It's about, the podcast is about um, the tactic of of, uh, of you know categorizing an argument rather than engaging it. But at, but as far as the argument goes, I don't want to just slide past it because it's very important. It's very important. Maybe one day we'll dedicate an entire podcast to it. And it's not just about gay people. Yeah, in their opinion and in mine, um, and in the, the, the correct way of looking at this, is that gay people should not adopt. But it's also uh, this also has to do with IVF and surrogacy and all these other ways that we have of uh, bypassing the traditional means of, of, uh, of procreation. That all these things are perhaps well-intentioned in some ways, but, but they're wrong. And, and it goes right to what, uh, I don't know if it was Dolce or Gabbana said, uh, you know, the supernatural sense of belonging that children are supposed to have. This is about what children should have what children are owed. You know, when we have kids, it's not just about us. Children deserve to be, you know, in, in, a, in, a, uh, in the Bible, John, John 3.16, uh, 
it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the Nicene Creed, that I say in church anyway, goes back to this phrase begotten several times. And it says, begotten, not made. Jesus Christ, he was begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Now, I, I don't want to make this entirely into a religious thing. Because I think you could arrive at the conclusion that there are problems with IVS surrogacy and gay adoption without necessarily being religious. But this is, this is all part of the, of the picture of things. The supernatural sense of belonging. That human beings are not made. They're not constructed. Okay, they're not assembled. They're not, they're not, they're not supposed to be chemical combines, uh, you know, compounds combined in a Petri dish. Even God himself, when he came into this world, was begotten. And children deserve that. Deserve to come into this world through the beautiful process of procreation. Not assembled in Petri dishes. And then once they are in, and, and by the way, one of the problems with assembling them in Petri dishes, uh, aside from the fact that it's so disconnected from the loving act, the loving act of procreation, uh, but, but also... You know, you know, ninety percent of those embryos that are that are created in petri dishes are eventually discarded, or they die, or they're used for experimentation. They're frozen. They're sold. I mean, it's it's a horrendous, horrendous thing. And when people and, and I understand the uh, the the longing people have to have kids, but having kids isn't just about us. So when we say, "I so want kids that I will have that 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 I will that I will." extract my you know eggs and 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 i will extract semen from my husband or it doesn't even have to be my husband and these things will be assembled and combined in a petri dish and embryos will be created and, and several of them will be discarded or frozen or sold or traded or whatever or experimented on when we say that it's all of a sudden become entirely about us and what we want and that's what i think dolce and gabbana were trying to say that children are not a fad. They're not. They're not a fashion accessory. They're. Not, they're, they're. They're not things that. They're. They're not pets. They're not domesticated animals. They're human beings, and they deserve what we have and what we had. And once they're here in this earth, whether they came through uh, a synthetic process or through the natural process, once they're here, they deserve a mother and a father. And if they cannot have their biological mother and father, either through the choices of those parents or through an accident or through some other tragedy, if they cannot have their biological mother and father, they deserve, they deserve some kind of male and female uh, uh, guardianship. It's about them. This is what is natural. This is how it is intended. So even if you're not a religious person, I say this is what God intended. But if you're not a religious person, then it's clearly what nature intended. Whatever, however you want to put it, whatever name you want to put on it, this is what is intended. And it's not that a, that a child who uh, doesn't have a mother and father present is doomed. Uh, it's not that they, that they will live a miserable life. And, and that's not the case by a long shot. But, but it is the ideal it's the ideal that we should strive for, and it's what they all deserve. And it's a great tragedy that, that they all will not get what they deserve, and I know that. But we should strive for that. So if you're a, a gay person in a gay relationship and you come in, you say, I'm going to adopt this child who will now not have a mother figure in his life, you are taking something from the child that the child deserves, and you're doing it for your own sake, not the child's. 
That's what they're trying to say. That is not a hateful opinion. Now, listen, you want an example of a hateful opinion? I'll give it to you. Okay. Uh, not in the, this isn't in the same realm of uh, gay adoption, IVF and all this. But because uh, it, let, let's let's compare. We have what Dolce and Gabbana said, and they're being called hateful and bigoted, even though they are gay. But they're being called hateful and bigoted against themselves. Hateful opinion. Nobody is trying to engage the opinion. No one is trying to think about it or listen to it or or understand what they're trying to say. Nobody is doing that. Of all the people boycotting and complaining and doing everything else, we all we all freak out and react. We all react, but we don't listen. We don't try to engage. And of all the people doing that. Nobody stops to think, well, why are they saying this? You know, these are people speaking against their own interest. Why? It's easy. Well, they're bigoted. Yes, they're bigoted. They're religious and bigoted. Okay. Or maybe you stop for even two seconds and think a little deeper than that. So let's compare. Rapper uh, Azalea Banks was interviewed by Playboy magazine a few days ago, and she was giving opinions. She gave various opinions. Uh, I, I don't, and, and Azalea Banks is, uh, I guess she has music out there. Uh, I'm sure she's a brilliant musician. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure her music is quite brilliant. Um, in fact, maybe I can pull up some Azalea Banks just so we can, cause I, I have no idea. Um, just so we can understand maybe, you know, because if she is a brilliant musician, then, uh, a brilliant, uh, genius artist, then maybe we should, uh, listen, you know, may, maybe we should take her opinions more seriously. I don't know. Okay, so this is uh, uh, this is what Azalea Banks sounds like, so we can all experience. Because uh, I've never may, maybe she is a musical uh, prodigy. Hold on. Yeah. Okay, so there's. Oh Lord, oh Lord, Jesus save us, Jesus save us, oh Lord Jesus come. Uh, th- this is. Uh, it's got to be a great gig for these, you know, Azealia Banks or whoever, you know, Beyonce, because they're they don't make the music, they don't write it. Uh, they're just given, they're given the music, they're given the lyrics and they're just told to go and sing them and they don't sing them particularly well, but, uh, they, they you know, they have a, they have a basic mediocre singing voice, I suppose. And then they just go out and they become millionaires and they're given credit for their art, even though it's terrible, first of all, but it's not actually theirs. It, it's, it's an, it's an incredible thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of like somebody is given credit as a brilliant painter, but somebody else paints it, and then all they do is sign their name on it, it, it or like, or like someone else, uh, you know, outlines it, and they just color it in, and then someone else comes back and 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 improves the coloring and the shading, you know, that that's what this is with with these uh, pop stars. In any case, so that's Azalea Banks, um, and uh, she's being interviewed by uh, Playboy, and this is what she said. She says. Uh, I hate everything about this country. Like, I hate fat white Americans. All the people who are crunched into the middle of America, the real fat and meat of America, are these racist, conservative white people who live on their farms. Now, aside from uh, being a truly stupid opinion from a a truly stupid woman, um, that is hateful. You know, it's right there. See, that's a hateful opinion. And it's, it's right... She, she actually says it. She actually makes it very clear. So that, that's a, it's usually very easy to discern a hateful opinion from just an opinion because she, I hate fat white Americans. And 
It wasn't like she expressed an idea or a belief or uh, some philosophy and, and described it. And No, it's just, I hate white people in the middle of the country. They're racist. They live on farms. And she hates them. That's all. That's a hateful opinion. So if you're looking for an opinion to whine about, see, that's hateful. It's a hateful opinion. Well, there you go. There is your hateful opinion. It's very hateful. It's right there. She's like, I hate fat white people. I hate white people in general. I hate them. Okay, hateful opinion. Thank you, Azealia Banks. Uh, very, thank you for that contribution. That is a hateful and stupid contribution, and, and you're a hateful and stupid person, truly. Um, so, so there you go. Now, now compare that to what Dolce & Gabbana said, and I think you're going to see a difference. On one hand, you have a belief, a deep-seated belief, described and uh, supported, and on the other hand, you have just a child lashing out. On one hand, you have an opinion. On the other hand, you have hate. Two different things, you see. But in the end, it doesn't matter because to progressives, uh, Azealia Banks will not be called hateful. Even though she said it right there. She said it right there. I hate white Americans. But that's not a hateful opinion because she's a black woman. So she's allowed to think that, right? She's a, she's a privileged black woman who's probably been rich her whole life. And, you know, she's whatever, 19, 20, 20. I don't know what she is. But she has no actual musical ability. Her, her parents, who were probably wealthy, pushed her into this and made her successful. She's a creation of, you know, marketing and record companies. She's not a real thing. She's a creation. But, but because of the color of her skin, she'll be, well, that's not hateful. And Dolce & Gabbana uh, are hateful because of what they said. And that's why you see that you can't really beat identity politics through trying to manipulate the identities and conservatives think that you can but you can't that's why you have a lot of uh, uh conservatives now and i've seen profiles about this woman and a lot of people now are talking about dark horse candidate for for president her name is carly fiorina i think it's, it's either fiorina or fiorina or i don't know uh but let's say fiorina just for um argument's sake carly fiorina is probably going to run for president. She's a Republican. She's a woman, hence the Carly. And she has a good amount of support among conservatives who, who say, oh, well, she's the best one to attack Hillary Clinton. She's a woman. And if she attacks Hillary, they can't accuse her of being sexist, right? Now, meanwhile, if you've never heard of Carly, um, her, she doesn't have any political experience, but she was a CEO of a uh, tech company for a while. And I would usually say, oh, no political experience, business experience, great. You know, that's a very good thing. I'm all for it. Unfortunately, though, uh, her experience at HP, she was the CEO of HP for a few years. She's been rated in many publications as one of the worst tech CEOs of all time. And not, and not for nothing. Okay, she ran the company into the ground. She fired 30,000 people while she was there. Uh, her employees hated her. Employee morale was rated at an all-time low while she was there. She did things like outsource jobs and force the employees that were going to be outsourced to train the outsourced employees. She took a $42 million severance when she was pushed out. Later, she runs for sentence in California against Barbara Boxer and loses. And now she wants to be president. And conservatives, some conservatives anyway, are saying, yes, let's, let's run her. For what? What has she done? She was a failure as a businesswoman, a horrible failure. She fired a bunch of people, took a golden parachute of $42 million, and left, and left the company in ruins. She outsourced jobs. I mean, I mean, and you're going to run her? You fools! You think she, in any way, could be a legitimate candidate? Oh, man, just everything is wrong with it. Her only discernible experience is destroying a company and firing people.
And you think she could be president because she's a woman, because you fools think that, oh, she's a woman, so she can, she can criticize Hillary Clinton and everyone will have to listen to it. How many times do you have to see it? The conservative women are, are criticized even more. Look at Sarah Palin. The fact that she's a woman will not guard her against identity politics. How many times do you have to see this play out? Why don't you see it? What is wrong with you? No, in the game of identity politics, conservative women get it even worse. And so if you're going to run a conservative woman, you better make sure that there aren't really obvious reasons why she should be criticized, as is the case with this woman. The only thing she ever ran, she destroyed and enriched herself in the process. She is notorious for being horrible at the one thing she did. And now her next job should be to run the country because she's a woman. See, conservatives are are, are now starting to do exactly what liberals do. Because they think it will disarm the liberals. It never does. It backfires. So stop it. It doesn't matter who you run. It could be a woman. It could be a black It could be a black gay woman. You could run a black gay woman to be president. And you, you think, oh, well, at least they can't accuse her of being homophobic, uh, uh, sexist, or misogynistic. Oh, yes, they can. Yes, they can. The moment she says an idea that is against their dogma... All of a sudden, they will trot all of those things out and it'll be ramped up tenfold, in fact. So stop it. Just stop it. You cannot play their game against them. All you can do is be honest and express these ideas and plead with the American public to start listening and start engaging. And if they never do, then we're hopeless. But all we can do is just keep saying the ideas, keep verbalizing them, keep expressing them, keep explaining them, And maybe eventually people will start to listen. But if they're not going to listen, there's nothing we can do. It's hopeless until they listen, you see. And that's what I'm saying. So the first step towards saving the country starts with listening. To listen to each other. We all have to listen to each other. And if you simply just categorize an opinion and call it a name, slap a label on it, that's not listening. You don't have to agree with it, but you can't do that. All right? Glad we could have this conversation. Ready? Break. Now let's go out there and, uh, and save the country. What do you say? All right, that's going to do it for me. Thank you for, uh, for, for listening. And, and remember, you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Matt Walsh blog, at Matt Walsh blog. And I will talk to you next week. Uh, Cruce Salus, which, by the way, means, uh, means from the cross comes salvation. Godspeed. Talk to you later.